I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Today, I'll be talking with Dana Hurt, a PCI certified parent coach and founder of Dana Hurt Parenting, a Chicago-based parenting coaching and education service. You heard that right. Dana actually works with the parents. Dana and I have heard a lot about each other through the years, but we never actually formally met until we were on a JUF mission trip in March. Dana and I talked and I got to learn about her practice and I was actually fascinated about her work and that she actually works with parents. I wish I would have known Dana when my kids were growing up. But as listeners, you all know that I love to talk about values. And Dana mentioned to me that she uses values as part of her practice. So we're going to dive into that a little later. Dana brings over 30 years of experience in the field of educational psychology in clinical school and private practice settings. She also has a lot of wisdom of 28 years of being a parent herself. I think we learn a lot from our kids, and I'm sure she'll share that as well. So today we're going to learn about Dana, how and why she started her practice. What is a PCI? Because I had never quite heard about it before. Something that I love that she mentioned to me called intentional parenting, a mindful approach in which parents consider their values as they impact choices for their children. So again, I can't wait to talk about that. So Dana, let's just get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, Sherry, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. I've been able to listen to a bunch of the other podcasts you've done. And I, I love the way, the way that you center so much of what you're doing around this notion of all these different ways in which we're working in the world. So first, let me start with my thank you. So a little bit about me. So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. I went to Brown University for undergraduate, and then I did my graduate work um, in a really specialized program through the Institute for Psychoanalysis here in Chicago and DePaul University. So really around human development and learning. So I've always been in the education space with a kind of a, a thoughtful kind of sidebar in psychology, although I'm not a psychologist or a social worker. And I started my practice because I had always been teaching. So I worked with kids, I taught part-time throughout my college career at a school in Rhode Island. Um, I then had my first teaching job in Illinois. It was actually in an educational center within a psychiatric facility. I then went to a therapeutic day school, and then I went into private practice working with children. And at some point, I finally you know, realized that to see substantive change, I needed to address the system. And the system was controlled by the parents. So I shifted from working with the kids to working with the parents, recognizing that that's where 
I could see systemic change and really impact the lives of not the child they usually came to me about, but all of the children in that family and the system and the family system at large. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's amazing because there is no playbook for parents. You know, I often told my teenage daughter, you're my first teenage daughter, so I'm going to make mistakes. We're going to be going through this together. But but I'm just curious, when you started your practice focusing on the parents, was there resistance because the parents are like, well, I know what I'm doing. It's the kids. How did how did that come about? What was the reaction? I think we all think that way, right? You know, like, how can I, how can I fix my kids? And, you know, the kids are clearly the problem. And I really think that for me, it was shifting that notion that it's anybody's problem, right? It's not that anybody's doing it wrong or that the kids are the problem or that we're parenting wrong. It's that this is hard. This is challenging work. And I don't think it's getting easier to be a parent today. I think it's getting harder with, you know, social media, you know, with that kind of the climate of the world right now. And so the, the answer to the question is there really wasn't pushback because it wasn't as if I was saying to the parents, well, you're the problem. I said there wasn't a sense of culpability or blame. It was that I was empowering parents to feel more confident, to feel less anxious. So parents were really receptive. And it was that they recognized what they can control. So it wasn't, it wasn't about blame. It was about empowerment. And to be honest, I really thought I had invented parent coaching um, that says probably a little something about my grandiose view of self, but I had been that mom for my siblings, with their children, with my friend group. And, you know, if you had a question, a lot of people called me. And um, so when I decided to kind of hang up a shingle and start my parent coaching practice in earnest, I kind of thought I'd invented it. And it wasn't until you know, I was, had been working for a number of years and I realized there's a lot of parent coaches out there. Um, And actually, you know, I know you're going to ask me about PCI, but that really kind of then informed a lot about my practice as I, you know, gained that clarity and more expertise. And do you find your practice is more grade school kids, middle school, high school, or everything broad range? My practice is broad range. There are parent coaches who are very specialized. I don't have a particular limit in terms of the age of the children that I will help you with, you know, who are dealing with newborns and kind of the challenges of being first time parents, all the way to parents of college aged children. Um, So my practice is very broad in its scope. But I'm also very clear, I always offer a free intake session for any prospective clients, because I'm also very clear about what I'm good at and um, what's a, a good fit for me. And because there are many parent coaches, I think it's important for parents to do their research and find a person for whom it's a good fit. And the style is a good fit. You know, like I'm very direct. I have a very, you know, kind of clear way in which I communicate and I work. And there's um, for some parents, they're looking for somebody who's, you know, better, maybe a kind of like a visioning board construct. You know, that would not be a Dana Hurt strength. But there are parent coaches who are really good kind of helping parents think about like that, you know, manifesting that dream. Sometimes people come to me and they think they need parent coaching and what they really need is marital therapy. And I'm also really good at you know, helping clarify that and making referrals. So that work can happen first, because even really good co-parenting work can't happen if um, there's not some alignment in terms of where they are in the separation and divorce to allow for co-parenting to be effective. 
Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about that later, because I know that that is a challenge when parents do get divorced, co-parenting and raising kids. But I want to bring back the listeners a little bit about what a PCI is and how you decided you wanted to get the certification. Good question. So when I was in the midst of COVID with everybody else and trying to take advantage of all of a sudden, you know, some time, I found out the Parent Coaching Institute. The Parent Coaching Institute is actually out of um, Washington State. It's a really intense kind of graduate level curriculum it was um, that was designed for parent coaches in particular. So that's very research-based. It's a 12-month program with curriculum, with 100 hours of supervised coaching. And it was an invaluable experience for me. When I first decided to do it, I'm, it's a cohort-based learning. It's from, it brings coaches from all over. So you're, you know, the people in your cohort can be, are internationally based. Um, it's all done, you know, via Zoom. And I, I personally just love cohort learning. And I thought it would be kind of a nice opportunity to use some COVID time to, to learn more. But it actually really shifted how I work because I think that up until that point, my coaching practice was very interventive because there was a problem, right? They kind of felt like they were over their skis with some issue with their kids and they called and it was like, help me solve this. And I think that going through the, the curriculum at the Parent Coaching Institute really helped me see that there was a tremendous value in pausing and trying to understand the strengths of the system um, and really starting there and then using those strengths to help address the challenges. And so I think I kind of had always taken the approach of let me help you fix it. And I think that the my experience with the Parent Coaching Institute really helped me kind of take a step back to say, let's understand your whole system. Let's use your own strengths to help you address the challenges you're facing, which felt a little bit more like teaching someone to fish than giving them dinner um, to, you know, right. to use the old parable. I'm going to digress a little bit because during COVID, I got my applied behavioral uh, certification and I've been in the business for 30 plus years and always knew I knew the psychology of why people were making decisions about money. But going through this course, like light bulbs went on and it solidified. And, and it's like what you said, starting at the beginning, a lot of the course was about early memories of money and how par your parents handled money, how that affects you instead of just trying to put the Band-Aid later on. And so for the listeners, it's never too late. Dana and I are about the same age. She's probably a little younger than I am, but you should always keep learning. And if there's a passion that you have and what you're, anything in your career, don't stop learning. There's courses, there's certification, and you can't see her face. I can't on Zoom. She's so energized talking about the course. And I was so energized taking the course. So we're going to go back to parenting, but I'm trying to maximize everyone's return on life and don't stop the education. 100%. And, you know, and to echo what you said, Sherry, you know, I feel like particularly as women, like there's such an incredible opportunity for a second act or a third act, especially as so many of us launch our children. And it's a kind of a different opportunity in our life. If we have been working, if we've been working part time, if we've only been working within the home, it's a tremendous opportunity to kind of reinvent or to, you know, to double down with what we're doing and to grow what we've been doing with new experiences and opportunities. So, 
I agree. I'm all in. I, I say to kids today, you'll have more careers than we had jobs. Right. And, and so like, we need to start recognizing that these, that, that we can learn from these kids. And like, it's not too late to think about what, what else can I do? How else can I, or how, or how can I do what I'm doing better? So yeah, no, I felt very enlivened by the experience and it refined my practice. It gave me new skills. You know, I always, I, when, when I'm asked about it, I always say that, you know, starting with the strengths rather than the problem was so empowering for me and so empowering for my clients. But it also, I, I shifted into also this notion of focusing on self-care, which I knew intuitively, you know, we all know it, you know, that, you know, you, you and I had spoken earlier about putting on your own oxygen mask first. We kind of all know it intuitively, but when you're in it with your kids and they're little and there's so much demand and it's so easy to lose sight of how you're taking care of yourself. And I say to clients all the time, you cannot take care of your children at the expense of yourself. Right. You know, and and that's what so many parents do. And so many parents think that's good parenting. Right. You know, I I do everything for my kids. All I think about are my kids. Like, first of all, it's a terrible model, right? Because we don't want our kids to see that that's what we think is appropriate. And it's also not sustainable. So um, that was also really instructive that came out of PCI. And, And lastly, sharing feedback. You know, if anybody has ever been in therapy, you know, you, you have great sessions with your therapist, and then you kind of have to hold on to what you hold on to. But in parent coaching, I would have the same thing. I would hour sessions with my clients. And then, you know what, they wouldn't hear from me again until our next session. But now I send write-ups from each session. And that that was something PCI taught me to do and to do really well. And it's a way for your, for my clients to kind of hold on to that voice, hold on to what we've been talking about between sessions. And then once we're done work, they have all of those summaries to look back to um, as a point of reference to kind of remind themselves and to like re-empower themselves with all of that information. And you mentioned something before that you kind of started going down this path because friends would call you and ask you and family. And, you know, through the years, I've been kind of that person too. But I think that we're not always as candid or objective because we're emotionally tied to the people asking. I think for you, you said you're the person that will tell people what they need to do and you're not emotional about it. And, and so I think that's a huge advantage to go into someone like you versus a friend, which is kind of probably how we all did it back in the day. 100%. And the truth is, is that we don't have to do it alone. I mean, I think so many people feel like I should know how to do this. You know, like I should know how to parent. It's like, why is this hard for me? But, you know, to your point, there's no manual. And the information that's available on the internet and in books is so diverse. If you listen to everything you were told, you'd be doing the things that were, you know, contradictory to themselves. Um, And so the value of kind of reaching out to a parent coach is that you have an opportunity to gain clarity and confidence. You know, you can feel less anxious. You don't need to, to feel so alone, so isolated, and you can be more confident. And we all we all kind of stumbled along. You know, we said, you know, your first kids like that first pancake, you know, you're just, it might be a little runny or a little brown. Like you're learning to figure it out. And I, I love that you said to your kid, you're my first teenager, but that kid was also your first toddler, you know, your first nine year old. Right. And so we are learning And my, listen, my third child will tell you they benefited from the fact that I had raised two children mm-hmm. and at the end, 
also that they got to watch me raise those two children. So my third child is always like, oh, it was great for me. You were a better mom and I knew what not to do. So, you know, it's, it is true that we just were, we all have to figure it out. And I, I just want there to be more joy in parenting and less angst. And I feel like I can help, I can help parents, you know, find that joy in their parenting. And I I think give yourself break and a little humor. It brings back a story that I was working full time. I was at a big New York firm, really intense. And it was parent night. And I didn't really read the brochure or the flyer. And my babysitter at the time went to the jewel and got some potato salad. And we get to the uh, night and it was actually your parent. It was your family tradition recipe night. And so everyone had all these fancy <laughs> recipes and it was like the Rikus family uh, tradition and it was potato salad and uh, from Jewel and people still laugh about it. And I could have been horrified and been hard on myself, but sometimes you just have to have humor. And I, I that story still sticks with me because every once in a while I'll see someone who will bring that up. So give yourself a break out there and you don't have to do it alone. There's resources like Dana, but I, I want to shift a little to intentional parenting because you and I talked a little bit about that. Can you describe uh, that process and how you work with clients? Um, Absolutely. So, you know, when I started my uh, practice, I initially thought that that's what I would call my practice, you know, intentional parenting. And eventually I felt like I just went with Dana, her parenting, because I'm just so incredibly original. But, you know, my my parenting coaches focuses on intentional parenting, which I define as knowing your values and using them to guide your parenting decisions. So that if you are clear, if you have clarity about what your core values are and you use them as a blueprint to guide parenting decisions, it's not so easy to get derailed by the chaos, the dysregulation, the the myriad issues and challenges because you're tethered to those core values. And then they help at every stage of development for you to make the decisions that make sense. And the older your kids are, the easier it is for you to then articulate those values so that you can say, I'm making this decision because we value family time. So the reason that you can't go out tonight and tomorrow night and the next night is because we value family time and we I want to make sure that you have time in this house as part of our family. That doesn't mean your friends can't come here if they want to join us for dinner, but I don't want to have you come out of school Friday at four o'clock and not see you again until Sunday night when you're going to bed because you're, you know, you have to go to school on Monday morning. And so obviously you're not telling your two-year-old, I value this because they're not, they can't understand that. That's not meaningful. But the more we articulate our values to our children and help them know those are the values we're using to make these parenting decisions the more it is, the more that's imprinted on them. They will ultimately choose what values they take with them. But it, and it doesn't mean, by the way, they'll always like our decisions or, you know, agree with us, but at least they'll understand how we're making the choices we're making in our families. Yeah, Dana, and I find, I actually wrote a blog on it. It's called uh, Your Values, Your Life's Grocery List. And imagine going to the grocery store without a list. You end up buying things you don't need. You're getting candy bars at the checkout. You forget the ketchup. And that's kind of like going through life without your values. And it comes into play with your time, with your money, with raising kids. 
And I will put on our website a list of that blog that has a list of 100 values. And I encourage the listeners to try to get down to five or seven. And I've done this a lot with my clients and some of them laugh and say, you know, we spent more time picking out the color of our next car than we ever did talking about the values. And I also think with couples, it's good to share the values with each other because one may value overnight camp or one may value music. And you want to have your say and you want to show the values. And I think the kids are watching us. So if we are true to our values, they're more apt to learn from us. So just wanted to talk about the values because love talking about the values. So can you give some examples? Because we have listeners of all ages. So maybe from toddlers up to high school, some things that might help them with this intentional parenting. Absolutely. I'll do my best. So with, you know, it's funny, toddlers used to be a huge chunk of my practice, actually toddlers and teenagers, because in many ways, toddlers and teenagers are, they're, it's very, they're very similar. There's a lot that's alike. If you do it, if you can figure it out when they're toddlers, you'll be well served when they're teenagers. But I feel like with toddlers, so much of kind of for what I talk to parents around is like understanding the emotions right? Because toddlers are, have so many big feelings. They, they want to do things by themselves, you know? And, you know, I always joke that if you, if you look on the internet and say like, what made my toddler cry today? It's like the funniest things. You know, I gave them the wrong yellow bowl. I wouldn't let them, you know, eat the cat food, you know, whatever. Like it's like, there's so much emotion because they're trying to assert their autonomy. They're understanding this, that they are now different and separate from you. And they want to kind of be in the world. And a lot of what I do when I'm in my coaching practice is kind of educate people on like, what's going on at this developmental stage. And so you think about this little toddler who's trying to assert themselves, and they have these big feelings, they're not really in control of very much right? We decide where they're going to school and what time we're leaving and when they're coming home and when we go out and what who they're having a play date with and often what they're wearing. And so it, with toddlers, I always say to parents, what control can you give them? Where can you give them control? And how do you do that? Like, do you say to your toddler, what color do you want to paint your room? You can, I wouldn't advise it. I would think it's better to say to them, do you want to paint your room this color or that color and give them choices, limited choices, because that's just more appropriate for who they are developmentally, but give them opportunities to assert control in their life. Don't keep doing to them and for them. Give them opportunities. And that means you have to tolerate their dysregulation, right? And it's hard for us. We It's hard to be around dysregulated people. And so parents often describe their toddlers like they're little terrorists. And it's like, I want to give parents room to say that is developmentally appropriate. Let's give them room and let's give them time. And a great example of this with a toddler is the choices around food. You know, we make dinner and then we put them and the toddler who ate, you know, grilled cheese yesterday now looks at that grilled cheese sandwich like you put poison in front of them. I don't eat grilled cheese, you know, and you're like, you ate it yesterday. And so what I say to parents, rather than getting into that power struggle, put out a number of things. 
You know, I always say that the great, the greatest snack for a toddler is an ice cube tray. I know no one even has ice cube trays anymore, but you know, the old ice cube tray with little snacks in each hole so that there's a vegetable and there's a fruit and there's a, a sweet and there's different things and let them can control. Don't tell them how much to eat. Don't tell them what to eat. Put things that you want to see in front of them in front of them and give them some control. We don't need to be the ones who make every decision for our toddlers, we can give them opportunities to be in control. And I think that's really important at that age range. A lot of what I'm seeing with my middle, those like, you know, six to nine year olds, my practice didn't have a lot of those kids for years. Lots of toddlers, lots of teenagers, lots of babies, lots of college age kids actually. But the six to nine have kind of reemerged. And I think in some ways, because COVID really impacted them. So a lot of what I'm seeing in my 69 year olds is what I would have said was more normal to see in toddlers. Again, a lot of dysregulation, a lot of difficulty following expectations. And one of the things there with parents I talk about is how do we validate our kids' emotional experience? And so a healthy kid needs to know that all of those big emotions are safe and welcome. And I think that we we are less tolerant of six to nine-year-olds kind of acting in emotional ways. We want them to kind of like be better behaved or, you know, not, you know, not lose it. And I think that, again, with I've been coaching a lot of clients around supporting the feelings, acknowledging, validating, and being empathic to those big feelings, but then teaching appropriate ways to express them. You know, a three-year-old lying on the ground throwing a tantrum is developmentally appropriate. You don't really want to see that with your nine-year-old. And so if a nine-year-old's doing that, they need to learn better techniques to manage and express those feelings. And that takes time and it takes our validation and our support. And it's about setting consistent limits around appropriate ways to articulate those feelings and letting our kids know you can't hit, right? You can't hit, you can't throw things. You can have these big feelings, but how do we give them the tools to express them in age appropriate ways? And then jumping to my favorite, because who doesn't love a teenager? I feel like with the teenagers, so much of my clients struggle with the stuff that people don't like to talk about, the drinking, the drugs, the porn, you know. But all it's, the- it's never their kids though, right? No, it's right, always, right, right. It's always their friends. Right, or or it's like, it's my kid was exposed to it. Now they're making bad choices. But it, those are, you know, those are tough things, but it's, but it's real life. And first of all, I always say to people, I mean, listen, if you're coming to me when your kid's 16, I'm just helping you manage how you're feeling about the things that they're doing at 16. But I tell my clients with younger kids, like we don't need to be afraid to talk about drinking and drugs and porn and what our kids have access to. And again, normalizing this behavior and, and empowering parents to articulate their values. You know, in my house, I did not serve alcohol. You know, that was my value. A lot of families, two other kids, like if my child was at home and wanted a glass of wine with dinner, I personally don't drink. So it wasn't around a lot, but I was not going to allow alcohol to be served to other people's children in my house when they were underage. It was my value. I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen in my house. I'm not 
naive enough to think my kids weren't drinking. And I'm not naive enough to think they weren't drinking at other people's houses, but they weren't drinking at my house. And so my kids understood that value. And when their friends came over, I shared it with their friends. I said, you are welcome in this house at any time. You can count on a good meal. You're welcome to sleep here. You know, I want you to feel safe and secure in this home, but just know I don't tolerate underage drinking in my house. So if you need to drink, you need to go somewhere else. You know, my kids and their friends understood that. And I still could host a homecoming dance party and I could still host other events, but they would leave if when they were ready to kind of bring it to the next level because they respected my rules that had always been clearly tethered to my values and expectations. And so I'm not telling any parent to parent like Dana Hurt. I'm saying know your values Make those values clear to your children so that you are making decisions that are connected, tethered to those values, and your children can throw you under the bus if they want. I said to my kids, I don't need any other 15-year-old friends, right? If you need to say my mom's, you know, you've met my mom, you know, don't cross Dana, like that's okay with me. I'm happy to be the, the loving, supportive mom who has very clear rules. Yeah, and, and what I love about it, even starting from the, toddlers to the teenagers is you didn't just say no drinking in my house. You didn't just say eat this. You're teaching parents to explain, to give their values, to dig a little deeper and especially about the emotions. Cause a lot of, especially when you're done with the toddlers, you think, well, my nine-year-old is mature enough. They should be able to handle it or they don't even understand what's going on with COVID. So, you know, I've got my own problems, let them be, but they all have their own emotions. And I, I love what I'm hearing about being a little more open, the values. And, and the bottom line is if you need help, whether it's Dana or another coach, seek it. We don't have to do this alone. I want to bring one more group of segment out there because it's actually my kids. Um, I call them Hotel California. And I think, you know, we all kind of send our last one to college and we high five and we're like, oh, we're done. We did it, but we're not done. We're always teaching. We're always learning. So a little bit of your experience with that age group. And my kids are fabulous, by the way. I wasn't using, I was just using an example. So of the age group. You know, I also have, you know, post-college age children. And I agree, you know, we all, we think they're launched and they're gone and then they're not. During COVID, two of my college age children came home. So it is an, um, an interesting reality today. And also there's, you know, to, to your work, Financially, you know, it's really different. You know, when I left home, I left home, but I my first job could pay my rent. That's not always true for our kids. And a lot of our kids save money. They live at home for a while um, before they figure out where they're going to go. Or maybe they're just staying at home and they're trying to figure out what their next steps are. The, the key is communication. It's so easy to have a college age child or a post-college age child come back and all of a sudden there's another adult living in your house and no one's talked about the expectations, right? When my kids came home from college, I was so excited to have them home. You know, they were devastated because they had to leave college for COVID. And of course, I understood that it was a global pandemic, but it was fun for me to have them home. But I reverted back into them being children. You know, I started doing things that I was doing all the cooking, I was doing all the cleaning and all this, you know, it took me 
You know, I probably did that for weeks before I was like, what am I doing? This isn't good for me and it's not good for them. And so then we went back to what had been a family tradition, which was a weekly family meeting where we then planned the week ahead and started talking about shared responsibility. So when I, when I'm coaching clients with college age or post-college age kids, I talk a lot about managing expectations and clearly communicating. So, you know, I had a, a, a story, I had a client, their college age kid came home for Thanksgiving and it was a train wreck. You know, the kid was with their friends from the minute they walked in the door, they basically came in with a, you know, a bag full of dirty laundry, ate all the food, you know, and then left to spend the entire four days with their friends and then went back to school. And the parents called me and the mom was the mom I was working with and she was devastated. She was like, they made no time for me. I didn't get to see them. And so we talked about how were we going to plan for the next holiday, the winter break. And it was about sharing expectations. You know, I get that you have a lot of friends in town and you want to see your friends when you're home, but it's important. It's our family value, right? We, it's important to us to have time as a family. So let's talk about what that's going to look like, you know, in terms of making sure that we have time together as a family over the winter break. I'm not telling you not to see your friends. I just want to make sure that we also see you. The other issue is curfew. You know, these kids have been at college. No, there's no curfew. They do what they want when they want. And then they come home and they're just out and about, but they don't recognize that there's a mom or a dad or two moms or two dads or somebody who isn't sleeping until they're home. Somebody who's worried about them. And so, you know, I know for my kids, I had to say, I need you to be mindful of the fact that like when you're here, Right, right. About you. But on Saturday night, when you're out in college and I'm out with my friends, I'm not wondering. I wonder if right. he's home yet. But when you're here, I know you're not home and I wonder where you are. So we developed a, a strategy by which, if you're spending the night out, I need to know that. Because if I wake up, you know, to use the bathroom and I see that you're not home, I am going to envision you dead in a ditch. I'm a Jewish mom, right? That's where we go, dead in a ditch. <laughs> so, you know, where there was about being respectful about that, but it, it came down to anticipating what our expectations were, sharing those expectations, and then communicating that. And if you have a child that's living at home, what are their responsibilities? You know, if you're living right. here, you have shared responsibilities for cooking, for cleaning. If you're picking up your dry cleaning, you can ask if I have anything at the dry cleaner. You know, if you're running to the grocery store, you can see what we're out of in this house. And it, but it, that's just about communication. And that's the thing I think we fail to do because we don't we've never done it before. You know, we've when we've lived with adults. It's usually our spouse or it's right. when, it's when we were, you know, roommates and then we were we were all idiots none you know there was you know but now we're grown-ups now we know there's it comes there's a lot that goes into running a household and if you're living here you're part of that you have a responsibility you're now a member of this household and there's a there's there's a job or two that come along with living here yeah i mean it just kind of brings to mind because i never connected the dots but Shabbat is a really important thing for me, and it's a big value. Sometimes I'll even make a reservation at a restaurant I know they all want to go to, and I'll send them an invite, and I'll say, you know, you could go out afterwards, but I get you from 8 to 10 at the restaurant. So there's a lot of strategies. And you brought up financial, and, and this is kind of a financial podcast, but, you know, we have a saying at our office, that you could give your kids enough to do something, but not enough to do nothing. And so a lot of our kids are moving to New York, or they're living in 
Chicago and we want them in safe areas and rents are expensive. So, you know, a lot of my clients are willing to help their kids, but I always advise that the kids come up with a budget, you know, don't just give them because you don't want the guilt. Like one of my parents said, oh, I give my daughter money. She lives in New York. And then I went on Instagram and she was at Nobu. And I'm like, she shouldn't be going to Nobu if I'm giving. Well, let let her go to a restaurant. She shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't be angry. Do a budget and figure that out. But it's all setting up expectations. And it's it's really communication, like you said, is so important. So I kind of wanted to weave the financial. So I think it's amazing, you know, what you're doing. I heard I was just at this place called Rancho Laporta and it was a wellness spa and the founder is 101 and she talked about the 30, 30, 30. And she said, your first 30 years, you're just trying to figure it out. You know, you're in high school, you're in college, you may have three or four jobs. And then she said, the hardest 30 years are the middle 30 years. This is when you're launching your careers. You're, you know, if you have children, you're raising your kids. If you don't have children, you're really intense about your career. And then you get to age 60. This is your time. And yes, your kids need you. But if you did everything well in those 30 year periods, you should have a nice second 30 year. And during all those 30 year periods, you need to take care of yourself. You know, just don't wait till you're 60 and say, now I'm going to start working out. Now I'm going to start to be healthy. Now I'm going to take time for myself, do it the whole way. And Dana's here to help you get there. But I want to ask Dana one more question, because this podcast is about maximizing your return on life. So how do you do that? What are some things that you do to maximize your return on life? You know, Sherry, it's it's an excellent question. I knew you were going to ask it because because <laughs> I've been paying attention. You know, to be honest, I'm going to say I have not been doing a great job of this recently. So, you know, with adult children, you know, we walk a fine line because we want to support them and respect that whatever they're struggling with, that this is their work to do. But the conundrum is that we want to kind of honor that it's their story to tell but whatever they're struggling with impacts us. You know, there's the, the saying, you're as happy as your least happy child. And for me, you know, as I've navigated some of these issues in my life, I've recognized that my instinct to kind of respect and honor the adult child's work has led to me not kind of seeking the support from my own, my own community, you know, my own support system. And so What's happened is that it's created isolation for me and isolation is, is the devil, right? I mean, I think that's, that's part of the challenge of parenting in today's day and age. We're the most interconnected we've ever been in terms of technology, but yet every parent I talk to in my practice feels completely alone. You know, it feels like I'm doing it alone. I don't know how to do it and just feels compared to the social media curated, beautiful life, but not supported by it. So I really think isolation is, is really problematic. And in addition, personally, you know, I'm at the age now where I have aging parents. So that spot where you like are navigating, you know, whatever is going on with an adult child that you want to support, but yet it's their private business, it's their work, you're honoring their, their work. The adult parents who still are wanting independent decision making, but who need more. And, you know, feeling like, you know, I don't, you know, personally felt like I haven't done a great job recently of kind of holding that space. When I knew I'd be asked this question, you know, I think you're, you've, you inspired me, I think, okay. because I, I knew that you were going to ask this question. 
it requires a reflection and thoughtfulness about what is my self-care practice. And lately, I feel like I bring my best self to my work, but my self-care has struggled. So it was the question was the reminder to practice what I preach, to reprioritize the self-care. And for me, that's about connecting to people. That's about talking to my friends, getting outside, moving my body, finding those people that are in your community that fill that metaphoric tank. Because when that tank is full, then you have the resilience to do everything and anything. And as, and as parents, I think that we are not really good at that a lot of the time. And so for me, your this question was the reminder. Um, the anticipation of the question was the <laughs> reminder, but all of us need to be refilling our tank. And that's how we're going to maximize our return on life. If we maintain our resilience, we have the capacity for so much more in our lives. And I just think it's a great reminder for all of us because it affects every affects every facet of our life from relationships to our our jobs, to our children, to our whole family networks. Yeah. And I love your answer because often, you know, I ask this question with every guest I have on the podcast, but I also ask it with a lot of my clients. And so many times there's a stress with the question because they think it has to be, I'm going to Africa or I'm doing a marathon or I'm doing something so grand. But what you just said is you want to get out there and have human connections, fill your tank with your friends. And if that's going to maximize your return on life, and we've all been so isolated and it's so easy after COVID to just stay isolated. So I know you have inspired our listeners. I know they will learn a lot, but I hope I have helped you to maximize your return on life through the podcast. It makes me really good if I could do that. So thank you for your honesty. And anytime you want to have coffee, I'm there and we can talk. So Dana Hurd, I will leave all her information. Why don't you give us your website real quick? Sure. DanaHurtParenting.com. I'm on Instagram at parent with clarity, but just the W. I'm easy to find. Um, I'm happy to help. I offer free intake sessions for anyone who just wants to see if this is the right work for them to be doing. And I, I just want to say one last thing, and that is it is never too late. It's never too late to pivot. It's never too late to parent with intention. No matter what age your kids are, when you parent with intention, you'll feel better. You will feel more confident. You will feel less anxious. Um, you, you just, this is an opportunity for everyone at whatever stage you are with your children. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the theme coming out of COVID. It's never too late to do a lot of things. So please, please, you don't have to do this alone. And we have our Maximize Your Return on Life website that will have uh, all the contact information for Dana and her website. But if you'd like to learn more how you could maximize your return on life through our five-prong process where we help you get organized, we work with you on your values, we uh, help you with full financial planning, implementing through a diversified, low-cost, passive approach, and continue to meet with you to make sure you're set with your goals, you could go to rrcapital.com. And I also have my own website, Sherry Greco Rikus.com. It is a mouthful, but you could find my name and just put .com at the end of it. So thank you, Dana. This was really great. I'm so glad we chatted in Mexico and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. Thank you.